Well, today we come to Genesis chapter 37, so please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis 37. We are moving right along through the book of Genesis. We've gone from creation, Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac and Rebekah, to Jacob and Esau, to Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And uh, today we're going to begin to learn about a man named Joseph. In the Hebrew, Joseph's name means, may God give increase. And this morning we will just kind of scratch the surface of what the Bible will speak about or what the Bible does speak about in regards to this man, Joseph. And we're just going to kind of like I said, scratch the surface of Joseph this morning here. But in the meantime, the Bible still goes on here to talk a little bit about Jacob as well, who is Joseph's father. We also have come to know Jacob as Israel, as his name was changed to Israel. So starting with verse 1 here, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. Now, As we see here in verse 1, and we've actually seen it mentioned a few different times in Genesis thus far, that those that we have been studying about were called strangers in the land where they dwelt. But yet this land was to be their land, Canaan, the people that we're studying about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The promised land belonged to, to them and to their people, right? But you see, the people of God, be they Israelites, when I talk about the people of God right now, be they Israelites that we read about in the Old Testament, or be it Gentiles such as you and me that have come to faith in Jesus the Messiah, the fact of the matter is, is all of us are strangers in the land in which we now dwell. The Hebrew word used there for the word stranger is a word that simply speaks of a sojourner. A sojourner is a person that is just temporarily passing through a place. So in that sense, we're all just sojourners. We're all just strangers here where we are, right? Ultimately, the people of faith, the people of faith in the God of the Bible are people that are just passing through this earth. We don't live here on this earth in a way in which we're putting down roots to forever be here because we know that we will not be. Our eyes are fixed upon another place, the place of our eternal home, right? The more you read and the more you study the Word of God, the the more that this will begin to take place in your life, meaning that you will more and more fix your eyes upon the things of God and the things of heaven as you grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. And you will become less and less interested in the things of this world and more enamored with the things of God. Now, let's mark this page. I know we've only covered one verse so far, but let's go ahead and mark this page. And um, I want to show you what I'm talking about. I want to expound a little bit on what I'm talking about here. Turn all the way toward the back of your Bible. And find the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10. Verse 
Now I'm going to skip through some verses here in Hebrews. I'm not going to read all of these verses in consecutive order. We're going to jump a little bit. But I do encourage you to read chapter 10 and chapter 11 of Hebrews on your own this week. But here in chapter 10 of Hebrews, let's look down and start reading at verse 35. So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now pause right there for a moment, because what we are getting from the Word of God here is encouragement to stay the course of faith. That's what's being talked about here. Stay the course, right? Don't give up living the life of walking by faith and not by sight. As, I, as you've heard me mention so many times, it's so easy just to, to live life on a swivel like this chair I'm sitting on right now and we get distracted and we go from here to there and here to there, right? And we kind of can lose focus, right? But this chair has a lock position on it so that I, that, that, I, that I can't swivel, right? And what I want to do is I want to lock myself on Jesus Christ. I want to fix my eyes on Him and continue to walk in the faith. Now, I know I re- repetitively talk about that, but I think it's important. I think it's very important because we only see each other once a week for the most part. Some of us see each other more often, I know, but but for the most part, we only gather around the Word as a, as a corporate group of believers like this once a week. So it's important that we be reminded that, that the world does want to put you on a swivel and get your eyes off of, off of the Lord and on everything else, but we have to stay focused. And that's what the Word here is doing. It's is saying, stay the course. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You need to keep living that life. Keep going. Why? It tells us there in verse 37, because Jesus is coming back. The day is drawing ever so near. And then in verse 38, it continues and says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So again, as I've showed you in the past from scriptures, right, it is possible to turn back, right? People sometimes do. They may have expressed faith in the Lord at one time, but in some way, shape, or form, they were drawn back to living in the ways of the world rather than living in the ways of the Word, okay? Verse 39 indicates that we have to keep believing, keep living out our faith all the way until the salvation of our souls, okay? Then if you look at chapter 11 now, let's skip over to chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, and then look down at verse 13. It's going to remind us of 
the saints of old. Those that we are beginning to and those that we have been studying about thus far in the book of Genesis, Hebrews here is going to point us back to them. Hebrews um, verse, chapter 11 verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So you see, the saints of old are our examples today of living by faith. That's why we go back and we study them like we're doing in Genesis right now. You see, you see they didn't count this world or any land at all as their ultimate home. Instead, they embraced and confessed the fact that they were pilgrims and that they were strangers, that they had another homeland, someplace else they would be someday in the future, as is the case for you and I, as is the case for <laughs> believers in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 continues there and says, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. So you see, what we see there is we can't look back. Verse 15 there. Let me read that again, verse 15. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. So you see how important it is where you fix your mind, right? Because if you fix your mind on the way you used to live or the way the rest of the world lives or the things you used to do before you came to Christ, when I say the things you used to do, I'm talking about before coming to Christ and before walking by faith in Him. When you look back to that, you, you'll get the opportunity to return there. It says right there, truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. And this world will give you the opportunity to return back to living a life that's before Christ, you know, without Christ. That is not walking by faith, but rather walking by sight. There are plenty of those opportunities that will arise, especially if you live life on a swivel and you're not fixed on the Lord, okay? So, again, when you come to Christ, there's no looking back to the way that you once lived before coming to Him because it, you've had a born-again experience where you come to a place where it's not about, you know, where you presently are. It's not about this world anymore. It's about where you're going, okay? It's not about your earthly home anymore. You're now beginning to focus on your heavenly home. And you're now seeking a homeland that is far different from where you presently are. And you're nothing more than a stranger here, a sojourner, a pilgrim, someone that's just passing through. And as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 37, this is what verse 1 is speaking of when it mentions that Isaac, Jacob's father, was a stranger in the land. And again, we've seen that mentioned about Abraham as well, right? We've seen it mentioned a couple times in Genesis thus far. But then verse 2 continues and says, this is the history of Jacob. Now, just real briefly here, um, 
If you were here last week, you'll remember that we looked at the history slash genealogy of Jacob's twin brother, Esau. But now we're talking about the family of Jacob. Okay? And that's why it says this is the history of Jacob. Okay? And very specifically now we're going to focus, begin to focus on one man. And that man is the man Joseph, Jacob's son. So verse 2 continues and says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, if you'll remember back in some of our previous studies, Bilhah was Rachel's maid, whom she gave to Jacob as another wife to have children with. And Zilpah was Leah's maid, whom she also gave to Jacob as a wife to have children with. So verse 2 here is simply telling us that, that Joseph is out in the field with all of his brothers here. And he goes back to his father, Jacob, slash Israel, right? We know him as Israel now. And gives his father a bad report about his brothers. Then verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So Israel's love for his son Joseph spawned some jealousy in the lives of the rest of the boys of the family, right? This coat of many colors, what the Bible calls here, the tunic of many colors. It's, it symbolized something special. It symbolized royal, royalty, right? Everyone in that day had a tunic. They had a long robe in those days, but those were, robes were usually very similar to each other, very plain, right? But Joseph stood out with this coat, and this coat represented the way his father felt about him for one reason or another. But you know, as we go on to read the rest of the story, and again, we're only going to scratch the surface today, but we'll see that Joseph did indeed become royalty. That was God's plan for his life. So maybe his father knew something that everyone else did not know, or even more likely, God allowed this special favor to be upon Joseph because Again, we will see as we go on that Joseph will indeed be used in a mighty way. But as we go on, there is something that will also become very clear to us if you pay attention to it, and that is, is that Joseph gives us a picture of Jesus Christ. Joseph was loved by the Father, his Father, above all else, and, and would go on to become royalty. Jesus was loved by the Father and is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not only the King of the Jews, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? He's King of all. And Jesus will also be hated, was also when he came to the earth, he was hated and despised by his brethren, the people of Israel, just as we'll see that Joseph, we see so far that he was and we'll see as we go on that his brothers hated him. So again, we'll see that as we go on. A lot of similarities between who Joseph represents 
and, and the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. It was symbolic of that, his life was. Verse five, now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. They, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. And you know, when Jesus came and spoke words to his brethren, to the people, his own people, the Jews, right? He did that. And the more he came and the more he spoke to them, the more they seemed to hate him, right? If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see what I'm talking about, right? Jesus foretold the future to them. And they could never see themselves bowing down to Jesus. It was something that they just refused to do. They could never see themselves bowing down to him. Again, we get that picture here with Joseph and his brothers. And today, the words of Jesus continue to go forth throughout all the world. How? By the spreading of the gospel through those that teach the gospel, those that teach the word of God. And we'll see later that Joseph indeed will be the savior of his brothers. And they will indeed bow down to him. We'll see that when we, as we get through the story of Joseph. And he will love them. And he will forgive them for what they've done to him, just as Jesus has done for us. And someday in the future, right, we're told from Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the world as we know it today, for the most part, just continues to reject Jesus Christ. They continue to reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Some have Him as a part of their religion, and they recognize that He is the Savior, but they never surrender all to Him as Lord, and they're never born again. They never come to be one of His followers. We will find out with the story of Joseph here that there really was something special about Joseph, but his brothers just simply refused to recognize it. They did one day, and we'll find that again when we get to the end of the story. We'll find out they're going to recognize who Joseph really was and that he was something special, and he was used by God on this earth. But verse 9 says, Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? So Joseph's father Israel here gives us the interpretation to this dream, doesn't he? The son represents him, Israel, Jacob, the father, right? And the moon represents his mother. Now we know Rachel was, had already passed away at this point. 
Joseph's mother. But Leah was still in the picture, right? And the 11 stars represent his brothers. But none of them liked this interpretation again, right? They cannot comprehend why, why, why this 17-year-old runt is speaking to them these kind of things. But there is a plan. And there is a God that has this plan. He, and he knows all and he sees all. And verse 11 continues, and his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So we see two kind of different viewpoints here in verse 11. The brothers are like, you stupid little snotty-nosed kid, you. That's the way they feel right now, right? Wait until dad's not looking, right? Boy, are we going to torment you. But on the other hand, dad, Israel here, he thinks about this deeply. Maybe God has something special planned for this boy. Remember, he made him a coat of many colors. He made him a special coat. And now he's getting these dreams. And and Israel's kind of like, hmm, he thinks about this, you know? And, you know, I just want to encourage a lot of you out there that maybe uh, grew up being teased or picked on or bullied in some way, shape, or form. And... What you need to do is focus on the Father, your heavenly Father, that is. See, the world is full of people that get enjoyment out of tormenting others. But all that matters is what the Father thinks of you. And the Father loves you so much that He gave His only Son for you in order that you could come into a relationship with Him. He has good in store for you, but if you focus on those around you that may be constantly putting you down or whatever, or tearing you down in one way, shape, or form, or if you focus on this world that may tear you down, then you'll never move forward in God's plan for you. Some some of you, some people listening, even have earthly dads and earthly moms that, that didn't treat them well. Brothers and sisters that let them down. Other family members and friends that let them down. But the Father God loves us all. The Creator of all loves us. And you can come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 6, 37, that all who come to Him will by no means be cast out. So Jesus won't cast you away. Jesus doesn't bully anyone or torment or tease anyone. He has a plan for people's lives that's unlike anything we've ever known. It is said that Psalm 118.8 is the center verse of the whole Bible. And it says that it's, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And that's, that's where God wants us. We, we sung about that this morning, didn't we? In that song we sung that said, He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree, right? It, it's the power of God's love that matters in a person's life. It's what the Father thinks about us and not what the rest of the world thinks about us. And, and people around us, again, we may have been beat up in one way, shape, or form, or this or that may have come about in our lives, but we need to focus on the Father and focus on the Son and surrender our lives to Him 
and ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we might live for him. And we will not be disappointed. But if we put confidence in man, others around us, we will be disappointed. But let's keep going here. Verse 12, then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Now, verse 13 there is a very, very powerful verse of Scripture if you think about it. Do you remember how I pointed out to you a few weeks back how Shechem represented the world? You know, it was the place where Jacob had stopped with his family and his daughter Dinah went out to hang out with the other girls in the land and ended up being violated by a young man named Shechem. And Shechem just represents a picture of this sinful world in which we now live. And Israel, here in verse 13, Jacob, right? He was going to send the son that he loved to Shechem for his brothers. It's a picture for us of God sending his son into the world. And notice there at the end of verse 13, Joseph was very willing to go. That's what he meant when he said, here I am, I'll go. And Jesus came into this world for his brethren. He was willing to serve the Father and do whatever the Father asked him to do. And what did they do to Jesus when he came? They crucified him, didn't he? Well, here's Joseph now, willing to go and do what the Father wants him to do and go to his brethren. And we'll see what happens to Joseph. Verse 14 continues, Israel says to Joseph, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. So, do you see the hatred in them toward their brother, Joseph? But again, they're hating someone, and they're planning evil against someone that will one day be their savior. And you'll have to read ahead to see what I'm talking about. But he will one day be their physical savior. They're going to die in a famine without Joseph. Right? We'll see that when we get to Genesis chapter 41, but we'll also, or a little further into Genesis, I should say, but we'll see when we get to Genesis 41 that all the countries will have to come to Joseph to get food to live because 
The famine was so great in that day. But the brethren of Joseph are plotting this evil against him. And in verse 21 it says, But Reuben heard it, and he delivered them out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So that was the eldest son Reuben's plan here. This is what was on his mind, though we'll see that he didn't share that with his brothers, but he's trying to, to spare Joseph here at this point. Okay? He wanted to stop his brothers from killing Joseph. Just put Joseph in a pit, and they, they wanted, he wanted to go back and get him later and take him back to their father. Okay, but we'll see that it's not quite going to work out that way. Verse 23, So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it, and they sat down to eat a meal. Do you remember when Jesus was going to the cross and they took and stripped him and, and divided up his garment, you know, and cast lots for it to sell it among one another? Again, we're just getting a picture here of Jesus, the Messiah. But these guys are pretty ruthless, the brothers here. They're still planning on kill him, killing him, right? Reuben tried to spare Joseph, but these guys are still thinking about murdering him. But they're so callous that even after, you know, putting their little brother into a pit, they just go sit down and have a meal, right? And you know, when they killed Jesus, they really didn't care all that much either. They, they were offered the opportunity when they killed Jesus. They were given the opportunity to have him released. Instead, they chose to have Barabbas released, right? And have Jesus killed instead. Today, many people's hearts are hardened to the Lord even still. They could care less about the Lord. They just want what they want. It's all about them getting what they get. And Jesus to them just represents someone that points out their sin. Right? See, the father, in this case here, the father Israel sent Joseph, his son, to go see what, the, what, the, what was going on with the brothers and then come back and tell him. And earlier we've seen in this chapter where they hated Joseph for that reason. He came back and he gave a, a bad report. But that was the way the father used him. That was the role that Joseph played in the family. That was how the Father used him there, right? When Jesus came into this world, and when Jesus comes into a person's life, even today, there's a bright light that gets uh, shined. Is that a word? It gets put on sin, okay? And, and, our, and a light gets turned on, and sin gets exposed, and people are like, I don't want this Jesus around. I don't want to hear the gospel. I don't want to hear the word of God because it points out my sin and it makes me see who I really am and what I'm really like. And this was Joseph's role here. And this is what, and the brothers are hating him for it. And today they still hate Jesus. Many people still hate Jesus. So they concoct other religions and they come up with other ways. And then they put down the people that will stand firm on the Word of God and live in accordance with the Word of God. 
right? And they'll just want them cast into a pit somewhere. Let's get rid of those people. Let's, let's get rid of all of this, that anything that has to do with Jesus. Let's get the word of God out of our schools. Let's get the Ten Commandments off of the walls of our governmental buildings. Let's just get rid of this whole God thing. Why? Because it exposes everything, right? And Jesus said that people don't come to him because they love darkness rather than light. In other words, they don't want to bring their sin into the light. So the fight is on today in our world to rid the world of the truth of God's word. You can't speak the truth of God's word when it comes to sin or else you'll be called a hater. You'll be guilty of a hate crime if you speak the truth about God's word in certain things, right? When in fact, the opposite is true. The greatest love of all offers forgiveness of sin, offers freedom from sin. You see, Jesus comes to set people free, but people want to remain in bondage. They want to be slaves. And the love of God offers us an eternal life in a wonderful place called heaven, the new Jerusalem, which you can read about in Revelation. But people, again, don't want to repent of their sin. They refuse to believe, and therefore they won't go to heaven. But that's not what God wants for them. God's not willing that any should perish. He wants them to come, right? So here these brothers of Joseph are just going on with life as normal after they throw him in a pit. So they're despising their brother, the one that the father loves, and the father sent to them, they're despising him. So you get the picture here, right? What did the brothers do next? Verse 25. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Now all of these spices here, this balm and this myrrh, are all fit for a king. It's all fit for royalty. Very expensive stuff here. And Joseph is about to be picked up and taken into Egypt which is also, we'll find as we go through scriptures, another example or a picture of the world or worldliness, Egypt in the Old Testament. We'll see that as we continue through the Bible. Verse 26, so Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh and his brother's listened. Okay, well, that seems pretty good of of Judah, right? I guess, right? If you can consider any of this good at all. But he talks them, Judah talks them out of not killing Joseph now. But in reality, Joseph isn't going to be killed, not because his brothers were good, but rather because our Heavenly Father is good. And the Heavenly Father has a plan for this young man, Joseph. You know, there were many times that the Jews, those of Judah, wanted to to kill Jesus, but they couldn't because it wasn't his time yet. And again, we get the word Jew from the the man Judah. We get that name Jew from this word, Judah. 
which will be the tribe from which Jesus will ultimately descend from in the physical sense. But verse 28 continues, Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, does that remind you of anything? Do you remember a man named Judas that was uh, willing to sell Jesus for a sum of money? Right? So the brothers had carried out this plan and Reuben, the eldest brother, was not there when they did all this. Remember, Reuben's plan was to keep Joseph safe and bring him back to his father. That's what Reuben said he wanted to do, right? But verse 29 tells us, then Reuben returned to the pit and indeed Joseph was not in the pit and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more and where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? So these men are not only full of hatred, but they're also full of deceit. But you know, what's interesting is that they took the blood of a goat and dipped the coat of many colors in it. This was how they deceived their father into believing that his son was dead. And if you remember, Jacob, their father, used a goat one time to deceive his father, Isaac. Do you remember that? He put on the fur of a goat on his arms to deceive his father into thinking that he was Esau, right? And to to take the blessing. So what goes around comes around. Right? You reap what you sow. Here now the sons of Jacob are deceiving him and using a, a goat in the whole process as well. In verse 33, and he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Remember, Israel loved Joseph greatly. This was some deep, deep mourning here. Reuben tore his clothes too when he didn't find Joseph in the pit, but he was more concerned about what was going to happen to him. That was his response. Where am I going? What am I going to do? Where shall I go? You know, but Israel is mourning the loss of Joseph. He doesn't yet know that Joseph is still alive. He probably wishes he had never sent his son out to check on his brothers. But keep in mind, God has a plan for all of this. Verse 36. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. And we'll stop here for today. But listen, folks, this is the plan of God is in all of this, what we're reading. God will work greatly in the life of Joseph. And we'll continue to see that as we go on. And God has a great plan for your life as well.
come what may, no matter what the circumstances of your past, you can come to God today through Jesus Christ, His Son. He is the Savior of the world, but He wants to be the Lord of your life. And we can't harden our hearts toward Him because He is constantly knocking on the door of your heart, waiting for you to let Him in. But He won't beat down the door. But don't cast Jesus away. Don't just throw Jesus in some pit in your life and put Him off to the side and go on living everyday life without Him, right? Because He's done so much for you. And the Father is looking on you with love. And the Father has done all that He can to redeem you out of this world, to set you free from the bondage of sin. In the New Testament book of 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world, because the world is passing away. But it says that he who does the will of God will abide forever. Do not love the world or the things of this world because the world is passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So that's a choice that everyone in the world must make. What do we do with Jesus? We can cast him aside. We can throw him in a pit. We can mock him. We can hate him. We can call him a dreamer, right? Or, or we can receive the words that He has spoken, and we can bow down before Him. He is the only way to heaven, though. There there is no other way. So with Joseph, again, we get a wonderful picture of the coming Messiah. To you and me today, it's all the past. As we're studying Genesis, Jesus is yet the future, right? Yet to be in the future. But we'll stop here. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your good word, God. You are indeed a good, good Father. Your your love is, is great and wonderful. It's amazing grace that you have offered to this world that we might come and find salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, for the blood that you shed for us, Lord, that you willingly laid it all down. You said, here I am to the Father. You were willing to go, and you were willing to go to the cross and die for the sin of the world. And Lord, there's no other way, for you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Many people have concocted and made many different religions and many different ways and many different paths and roads. And they say all roads lead to heaven, but that's not true. The truth is, is that there is one way, and that is you, Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. So Lord, I pray that in our hearts and in our minds you will be exalted, Lord, that The words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. God, that we would seek you more and more with our lives, Lord, and that we would also bring the knowledge of you to others around us, those that we know in our lives that do not know you, that we might point them to the truth of your word. Thank you that you have given us your word, Lord. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to comfort and counsel and lead and guide us through this life. And as we go forth into a new week, May your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.